0: Hello and welcome to this Tuesday afternoon to Speaking About Speaking with me, Jackie Goddard, and uh, and my guest, who I'm going to bring up very, very shortly. Uh, But welcome. If you're watching here live today, please do interact. It's great to have your comments and questions, anything you want to ask, then just stick them in the chat and uh, I'll endeavor to answer them along with my fabulous guest here today, who is who likes to call himself and he just told me he he came up with this as uh, he was walking he is the multi story man and Andrew Thorpe is a speaker and a speaker coach speaker trainer but when he says multi story man well i'll i'll let you, i'll let him explain that to you so welcome to the stream andrew thorpe welcome andrew
1: hi Jackie great to be with you
0: Uh, lovely to have you here I just swap you over on the screen there Mm -hmm. Uh, so please explain what do you mean when you say multi-story man well it's funny because I I
1: have I've been working um partly in the construction industry in the last few years so they often spell story (laughs) (laughs) in in the way that I would want it to be spelled rather than putting an e in it so I don't build multi-story car parks I actually help Um, individuals tell a more interesting story about themselves if they are representing an organization, uh, if they're speaking on a stage, if they're being interviewed like this, um, or indeed if if they're going for a really important job interview, they've got to tell an interesting story about themselves. So I suppose my mission is to help people to say something really interesting whenever they open their mouth in a way that absolutely connects with the audience and helps them stand out in some way.
0: Fabulous. I mean, I'd, we we're on the same page here with stories. I think stories are really important. If you are in whatever sphere you're in, whatever you are trying to communicate, either in a business world or in a you know social world, mm. that actually you engage with stories.
1: Mm.
0: What what is it for you that's really important about telling a story? Well, I
1: think one thing that's important is to define what we mean by it. Um, I'll actually start with a story I shared on LinkedIn the other day, which is actually about a friend of mine. He's known as Mr. LinkedIn. So I'm the multi-story man. He's Mr. LinkedIn. And as the name suggests, he's called Mark Williams, and he, he trains people in how to use LinkedIn properly. And on his about me section of his homepage on LinkedIn, he said that in, 20, in 2008, he went to a networking event. Somebody asked him what he did for a living. He said, well, I'm a LinkedIn trainer. And the guy said, well, that's interesting. Do you do anything else? The implication being that that's not enough. Yeah. And I have a similar challenge in a way when you start using the S word with people in business who aren't necessarily working in marketing, advertising, you obviously get it. They think, well, what do you do? I mean, do you just help people tell funny stories? Is that it? You know, do you do anything else? I mean, I don't think of storytelling that way in business. I think of storytelling is how you frame a message it's how you package a message in a way that really gets under people's skin and connects and moves them to act maybe in the way that you want them to so it will be everything from um, a full-blown presentation is a piece of storytelling yeah. um, uh, a pitch is a piece of storytelling um, and a metaphor is a piece of storytelling for me so it's it's not telling an anecdote. That's part of it. And I think if you if you're able to tell an anecdote, you can actually draw a lot of the lessons of how to structure an anecdote and apply them in other areas, but it is how you package the message you want to get across in a way so that it really connects.
0: Yeah, and so what's what is it within a story that's important to? Uh, something like a presentation, especially, you know, I'd, I'd, I've um, spoken to people that are in engineering or I've coached with people that are engineers and they say, Well, I've got all this data that I need to put across. And if, you know, <laughs> they're not going to, uh, I need to be able to get the layperson to understand. Or mm. how, what is it within an anecdote even that would make something that's quite data heavy relatable?
1: Well, I think with, when you're presenting data, you have to think of, well, why am I presenting this? What's the story behind the number? Is there one number on the screen that I can focus on and illustrate the overall point that I want to make maybe through that number? So you help the audience focus on what they need to know. And one technique I heard during the pandemic, which I thought was really, really good, it was a podcast, I think an American podcast, probably The Daily, which is the New York Times podcast, and um, it was seven numbers that best illustrate what's happening to the economy because of COVID. So it would, would be about inflation, it might be about um, employment, it might be about you know, demographics or whatever it is that, that he chose seven numbers that really encapsulated what was going on with, with the pandemic and how it was affecting the economy. That's a really nice use of storytelling, I think, using data.
0: Oh yeah. see, I'm. That's confused me. What's what? What numbers are?
1: <laughs> oh, I can't remember what the numbers were. It would be what's
0: happened to
1: unemployment or what's happened to, you know, the the average price of a, of a basket of goods in the supermarket.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it it was, was really
1: clever way of selecting something that was representative of what was happening with the economy at that time.
0: Yeah. But you listen. I mean, you listen to a lot of podcasts, obviously. But you you talk about and you kind of I, I've heard you sort of dissect anecdotes and mm. and people that are well known for their kind of storytelling. You know, mm. actors, celebrities that are, you know are quite happy to just sort of sit back and recount tales and stuff. But you're very good at sort of picking those apart, aren't you? Where did that Where did that come from? Um,
1: I've got a friend called Jeremy who. Does this does these extraordinary breakdowns of famous talks, and he and, and he hand draws them, and he puts them on LinkedIn, and they're like a work of art. They're extraordinary, and I, I suppose Jeremy, in a way, was an inspiration for me to do a similar thing with something like an anecdote. So I actually did that with a story that Billy Crystal told. um, um I think it was on the um, one of the late night shows. He told the story of how he was the host of the Oscars. Um, and someone in the audience did something i won 't tell you what the story was it's too involved to explain it here, but it was a really interesting story, and I broke it down and explained why I thought it worked because it really worked beautifully. but he is a masterful storyteller. he's one of the very best, so it helps if if the if the story's in good hands that's for yeah. sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so what do you think is the key? I mean, what advice would you give? I mean, one of the questions to say we discussed before we came on air is, is what is the best advice that you give? What do, what do you say to people when they're putting together a presentation? Because you've, you've done your own keynotes and, you know, you, you are a speaker yourself. Where do you start and what's the advice that you give to people if they're, if they're starting out?
1: I think if, you, if you're presenting something from the stage and you want to storify it, let's say you're presenting an idea to the audience. I think it's really important that you have some conflict in there. So the conflict at the beginning might be the problem that required you to think of the idea that solved it. Yeah. You know, when did it raise its head? How did you first encounter it? Um, And what was the process of discovery of coming up with the idea? And when you first put it out there, why didn't it work in the way that you anticipated and how did you have to amend it to the point where it's now at. So it's gone through multiple iterations to the point where it now works. And then you maybe switch to the, to the future. And so, well, this is where I see it going. You know, it's only working on a pilot level at the moment, but I think if we can embrace this and put it across the nation, it's going to make a real difference. So that, that's where I think you can start using some of these sort of story techniques to make what could otherwise be a rather, factual or logical pitch into something that's much more engaging for the audience so that that sort of conflict and tension which you will know with your with your acting background (laughs) it's the basis of stories if you don't have tension and conflict you don't really have an interesting story
0: no quite right quite right but i think it's it's quite overwhelming certainly with the people that i've worked with if they have never had any kind of acting experience certainly never any any kind of performance experience to to think about how they can they can do that they can actually no. Go from saying, Well, I, this is what I, this is the message I need to deliver. This is what I want the audience to know. Mm. How do I start and how do I take my audience on that journey? Mm. And I think you've, makes- got to, yeah, you've got to start
1: though by asking yourself, Well, hang on a minute, who is the audience and what do I want to say and why would they care about what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Um, and what do I want them to well, think, feel, and do as a result of me being up here? And I had it, there was an example recently, I'll save their blushes by not saying who it was, but they they presented on behalf of the Highways Agency in a part of the UK. Now, it was to a broad business audience. And the problem with the Highways Agency is they're on a bit of a hiding to nothing to begin with, because if they do their job well, no one notices. Bit like a football referee. You know, yes. They're invisible if they're doing well and then as soon as the roads begin to flood uh-huh. or the snow doesn't get cleared then you know, everybody notices them. So they're on a bit of a downer to begin with. So I think what they had to do was to somehow create some empathy in the audience to sort of empathise with the problem that they face in managing the road network and how difficult it is with things like climate change and with you know the, the uncertain uh, uncertainty of, of freak weather conditions um, with increased road usage, maybe with more men in lycra on bi- on bikes now and uh, vandalism and, and budget cuts and all the rest of it, generate a little bit of empathy and sympathy for the plight that they're trying to get through and humanise you know, their attempts to adapt to those difficult circumstances. And then I think they might start to win over the audience a little bit. Hmm. But what they actually did was they presented factually and structurally what they did from an internal Organisational perspective. Yeah, using phrases like asset management. In other words, that was what they were looking after in there yeah. <laughs> with the roads and the streetlights and so yeah. forth. And we wouldn't use those terms outside of their internal culture.
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's a that's the the classic. Uh, um, you the word you used there that really um, struck home with me was humanise. Mm. and i think that's the thing what's going on there is they're looking from the inside they're looking the it's all about them it's mm. all about them as traffic you know they they don't they're not doing anything that they shouldn't be doing but they are not looking from their audience's perspective they're not yes. talking to the audience and say look i'm a human this is my story Re- this will relate you know mm. you can relate to this yeah and, and i think, an think
1: if they are able to pick out maybe two or three individuals within their team who were heroes yes you know, maybe Jeff, who never wears, he always wears a T-shirt no matter how cold it is. <laughs> and he refuses to put a jacket on to keep him warm because he's got this sort of ready-break ready, ready break glow around him all the time. That would be nice. It's a way of putting a personality on some yes. of their heroes.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, personality, another great word. Brilliant. Um, I'm just going to cut to the uh, t- to the audience at the moment. I've got, bless, look, I've got my mum here. Hello, oh, hello. Um, this is, um, Dad worked with Billy Crystal. So oh, wow. Yes. Fantastic. Christie. Yeah, great man. Um, and John Torrance. Hi, John. Nice to see you here. Um, Jeremy Paul Waite. Is that who you were talking about?
1: Yes, Jeremy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So John is also a, a speaker coach uh, from an acting background. And mm. uh, John is coming on very soon. So it's great to have, have John here. Um, so I will put that. Because I'd like to see more from Jeremy as well. That sounds, that sounds great. So how did it all start for you? What kind of background do you have? Because I meet varying people from varying backgrounds in this kind of sphere, talking to people mm. about how they should show up for their audiences, how they speak in public, how they get that kind of uh, confidence to, to go out there. Some come from an acting background. Some come from a training background. Yes. Where did it start for you?
1: well obviously a golfing background
0: oh well of course <laughs>
1: what else would it be jackie <laughs> <laughs> so i am i am serious i you you know this i come from a golfing background so my brother's a professional golfer and um, i grew up in in lytham saint anne's in the northwest of england which is a real golfing center so with, with those two factors it was inevitable that i, I took up the game and I, I got to a very good level as a youngster but not good enough to turn pro like my brother did but I always had a great interest in it. And I ended up after university working in the industry for 22 years. Um, As a a referee, a tournament organizer, I used to coach golf to business people that that didn't play, but wanted to learn for networking reasons. Um, So when I moved out of the industry um, around 2008, nine, for for numerous reasons, I had a difficult business partnership and other things that sort of, went the wrong way. So, I decided to reinvent myself. So, the crossover between the world of golf and what I do now is public speaking. Because in the golf industry, you have lots of prize presentations. And I used to like emceeing the, the prize givings. No one else wanted to do it. So, so, I was able to sort of fulfill my frustrated actor thing and, and, um, and <laughs> take the microphone. So, I thought, well, let's, let's go down the speaking route um when i left the the golf Uh industry so that that was the commonality or the bridge between the previous life and the current life but i think it was through helping people to present better in business that i began to realize that they weren't doing justice to what they could be saying about their product or their organization they were just sort of factually describing it but they weren't telling a compelling story
0: yeah it's about that show or tell isn't it And, and lots of people sort of don't don't understand that they, that actually just presenting the facts is is not as engaging as it could mm. be, and I should say they're wasting opportunities to actually really um, bring people to them, to their business, yeah. to grow their brand.
1: They are, they are. But I think there's some wonderful there's some wonderful examples from you know TED for example TED Talks. There's a guy called David Epstein who's an American. I think he's a journalist, and he gives a great talk about athletics and and um, athletic performance and whether athletes are actually getting bigger and stronger and faster, and he begins to question it. And one of the things he did is he showed, um, well, he talked about the 100-meter race, and we know that there's a very small difference in timings between first place, second place, third place. It's like fractions of a second because of the, the speed that they're running at. But instead of showing it as a table with all the different times, he actually did it as a sound where there's a blip when people cross the line so it was like (laughs) and that was the difference between first and last and i thought that was really clever you know to use an auditory thing rather than just a table of numbers so i i sort of steal a lot of these ideas from just being curious and Mm. listening to podcasts and watching videos and see if i can extrapolate some lessons
0: yeah yeah, I've just there's a, a comment here from Simon Raybold, who was a, a guest um, in my in my last batch, uh, who said some come from scientific background as well, mm. and and I know with Simon, you know, there's a, he was a research scientist, and there's there's a lot of, of certainly as from an actor's background there's a lot of that kind of researching and looking into to the motivation for a talk and the psychology around uh, around speaking that I sort of hope to bring to my clients and it's certainly you know within a within the characters that I played as it was what I wanted to do yeah So, is there anything in that in that that you use when you're working with clients that kind of sort of motivation research side
1: I think what, one of the things that's really interesting is where you can, f- you can talk a little bit about the psychology behind the behavior. So if you're talking about um, you know, an idea to maybe influence um, the audience's clients or the audience's target market, to be able to understand not just what they should be doing but why they should be doing it because if you do this, this tends to happen. I think that makes the pitch much more interesting, so a degree of understanding of basic human psychology I think can really elevate what you're presenting from the stage. There's a lovely podcast actually called Hidden Brain, which I'm a big fan of. It's a a podcast about, you know, behavioural economics and and psychology in general. Um, And again, I've learned so much by listening to that. About influencing skills and how you can frame a message in a way that, that is more likely to resonate and, and move people to act.
0: Yeah, your uh, your podcast yourself. You host a podcast called Leaning Forward, mm. and that's all about how you influence, isn't it? What's the, what's the, what's your tagline?
1: Of leaning forward. I don't yeah. know whether I have a tagline. Or <laughs>
0: do you know what to <laughs> be? <laughs> so uh, Andrew is. Uh, one of the podcast hosts that i i advertise within my own podcast this is the mm. three of us you my, myself and uh, uh, Stefano. yeah and i suppose your 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 promo is always in my head and it's it's about we're all influencers we're all we're all you know in everything we do whatever yes. we speak whatever we say it's you know we're all in the influence game or
1: something absolutely and it and it's a soft form of influence it's not pushy salesy um, it's it's soft. I think it was the head of the Foreign Commonwealth Office once once defined diplomacy as the art of letting other people have your way. So that was a really yeah, clever I like line. That. I like that. <laughs> so they think they're in charge. They're making the decision, but you just sort of influence them to go the way you want them to.
0: Yeah, absolutely brilliant, brilliant. So what's what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? as a speaker because obviously you have you are you've done a ted tedx haven't you
1: i've done three TEDxes. and um, wow. yep yeah. the, the first was 2010 which i struggle to watch because i don't think it's terribly good i've got a bit better since then <laughs> the latest was 2016 which I'm, I'm quite happy with that one
0: yeah so um so what's the best piece of advice you were ever given as a speaker
1: i think it would be um do less, but do it better. In other yep. words, strip things out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It just sounds you know, like bit, you, it sounds like you like, had like, a round of applause for that.
1: I know somebody was walking up some steps.
0: <laughs> it was like yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So <laughs> walk up those steps. It'll sound like people are applauding. No, I think I think you know, it's a bit like in um, in a script where a script's a bit woolly and it needs to be you know pared down a little bit until it gets to the just the right level. Bit like yeah, your copy.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree with that one because uh, people that I've worked with that have kind of come in with everything. They mm. you know they want to fit everything into the ten minutes they have to make this presentation, and actually it's it's no the, the whole point of that ten minutes is to start a conversation. You can't you can't. You, you, You can't conclude everything within that 10 minutes. So I I quite often say, Mm. right, well, edit and then edit and then edit again Mm. until you literally are down to the pure gold, which is... I think,
1: you know, if if a company that you're representing does 10 things, don't tell them about all 10 things. You may list them, but perhaps choose two or three and go into them a a bit more deeply and really storify them, do them justice, and the audience will love you for that. And if they're interested in one of the other seven, they'll come and ask you.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the other thing, isn't it? If you've got too much in there is that you end up speaking too fast. You don't mm. take enough time. The audience don't get a chance to actually listen, engage, understand what it is that you're saying. If you don't, you know, if there's, if there's too exactly. much information, exactly. I say to, the number of times I say to people, just give them a handout, you know, they don't need to know mm. everything. All that that's stuff right. that you've got there, put it in a handout and, and, and email it to them. But what it's they the, want. Sorry, okay, Jackie. Go. No, it's that whole thing of that that um uh that quote that oh what's um, Maya Angelou. It's not how you know, people won't remember what you said or how you how you said it, they'll remember how you made them feel. Made
1: them feel, yeah. That's yes. a lovely
0: quote, isn't it? So, so it's, um, you know, as long as you can do that in the time allotted. Exactly.
1: Exactly. I was just going to mention that you're talking about speaking quickly. When I did that first TED talk, when you have when you do a TED talk, there's often a, um, a countdown in front of you on a display, um, and if it's a full length, it's 18 minutes. It counts down, and halfway through, I panicked because I thought it was counting up. Ah. So I thought, oh my god, I've only got that amount of time left, and I started to speed up a little bit, and I, I think I finished about two or three minutes early because I missed. I, I thought it was going up and it was going
0: down. Oh. There you go. So, so how scary was that that first one? And oh. and how how do you, how do you deal with the nerves then? It was
1: at, it was at Warwick University. Um, there were some okay. really heavyweights there. I felt like a complete fraud because I was quite early into this reinvention at that point. And um, I had not really figured out my message. It's it's not a talk I'm overly proud. It's okay, but it's not, it's not terrible. <laughs> um, and um, there was a, a Sir Robin Penrose or Roger Penrose was speaking. He was a colleague of Stephen Hawking. He's speaking about the universe and the Higgs boson particle and all the rest of it. So I thought, well, what am I doing here? So I had to convince myself that I did belong there and had something potentially interesting to say so I, I think I had sort of massive imposter syndrome, and I had a cold. I didn't feel very well driving down to Warwick, but I think in the moment you forget that you're not feeling very well, and you just go into
0: yeah. you know, performance mode. Yeah, the adrenaline, the adrenaline kicks in. I also yeah.
1: walked up and down like a caged tiger, and I watch it now. I think, oh for God's sake, just stand still. You <laughs>
0: know. Well, that's why they've got the red dot, isn't it? That's why they've got that. That's red, why they have the circular red
1: carpet yeah. that you're meant to stay but on. Yes, but I was nervous and I, I paced <laughs> up and down.
0: <laughs> so, uh, so how did you get the? Because I thought maybe at, at TEDx, you only got to do the one. Does it does it matter on your on your your subject? Can you talk about different things and go different diff, different ones?
1: Oh no, you you, you wouldn't. I don't think you talk. You wouldn't do the same talk. But I mean, you can still speak within your realm of expertise and do more than one. Um. So that yeah, I mean, there are a number of people like you know Hans Rosling did did a few because he was the great uh, statistic statistic talker. Um, and he was a great hero of mine. So he did more than one. Ken Robinson did more than one. Uh, Brené Brown's done more than one. Yeah, so yeah, you, you, you can do more than one for sure if they ask you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Uh, well, let's open it up and see if anybody has any questions that they'd like to ask before we move on to to my next question. So if anybody is uh, watching on the replay and you have a question that you'd like to ask either of us, then put it in the comments and we'll we'll Come and find you, we'll get back to you. Um, So I have to ask then, um, Andrew, as I do with all my guests, is what makes a a good speaker great and what makes a bad speaker suck?
1: I think some TED Talks, they're they're at a certain level where obviously they're, they're a very competent speaker because they've really practiced hard but they look over-rehearsed sometimes. They don't look fresh enough. They're sort of so perfect that they seem almost unreal. Yeah. If if you know what I mean by that. It doesn't seem like an authentic speaking from the heart about something. It's just too crisp and perfect because it's over-practiced.
0: Yes, yeah. I've I've literally had that with a, a client I was with this morning. Who was sort of saying, "Well, I've got, I've got two months. If I practice this every day for two yeah. months," I was saying, "Well, you know, there's, there's a, there's a fine line, isn't there? There's a, there's a kind of a tipping point mm. where you need to be rehearsed enough to, act for it to feel comfortable and natural. Yes. But yes. if you go too far, then it's almost like you've." I mean, I always say memorize to improvise because there needs mm. to be a certain amount of it, it, part of you and part of your body that you know it that well. Yes, and I know that yes. as an actor, if you know it that well, it, it comes out as natural as possible. But if you go too far, then you end up just having memorized the words. Mm. And I think it's like music being overproduced, isn't it? Really? Yes, and yes, kind of yes. You, can you almost hear.
1: need it to be a little bit rougher around the edges. Yeah. It yeah. sounds a bit counterintuitive when people want their talk to be perfect because it's the thing that's going to be up there forever and I want it to be just right. Well, it's not necessarily going to be the best version if it's just too slick.
0: Yeah. So how, what, what, do you, what do you advise people to do then so that they, they don't become over-rehearsed? I think
1: you've, you've probably got this skill more than any of us, and that is to be able to read something that's scripted in a way that doesn't sound scripted almost like you're thinking of something in the moment and then it's delivered Yeah, rather than it being a canned line that you've said a hundred times before. And it sounds like you've said it a hundred times before.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's it. I think there's, it's, this thing about being your authentic self. And I know that's a, gets banded about a lot. But it's if you are being you, mm. then actually it doesn't matter how many times you've told the same story because it's your story and it comes mm. from a place that's really authentic, then actually it's always going to be a little bit different because yeah, the, so. lines, the, the lines are never going to come out in the same way. No, You'll never right. say them the same way that's because right. it's your story. And, and I'd certainly
1: advise people to watch the, the prize presentation speech by a tennis player called Lee Na. L I and then second name N A. She won the Australian Open and she gives a hilarious winner's speech that's so from the heart. I called it perfectly flawed. Um. <laughs> it was wonderful.
0: <laughs> Well, that's you know, if you can aim for perfectly flawed, I think that's that's the that's the perfect place yeah, to be. Yeah. Uh, Simon, in the uh, in the comments here, let's just put this up. It says uh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because what looks best in the room and what looks best later on a video on the TEDx website aren't always the same means of uh, of deliver, which mm. I think is is true, isn't it? Really, but then I think so many of us are not not particu- I mean, this I found this as an actor is. I never saw myself on screen. I'd go on a stage and perform and come off at the end to rapturous applause, obviously. obviously. Um, but I never it wasn't until lockdown, really, that I began mm. to see myself on a screen. Yes. And actually what you deliver in your head and what you deliver on a stage and how that feels as a speaker and mm. how that comes across to a live audience, I think is quite different mm. when you're suddenly seeing it on a screen
1: yeah i think what, what's interesting is what we've all kind of got used to watching ourselves speak on the screen as we are now yeah and i i find it quite off-putting because i think oh my head's tilted to the side i've got to hold it straight and i've got to sit up and my my shoulders creased i have got to do that and it's it's a distraction for me i'd rather be just in the moment and you know and speak to an audience and yeah. uh, you know, if I look a particular way, I look a particular way. But you become a bit more self-conscious when you see yourself as you're speaking.
0: Yeah. But I've certainly gotten. Uh, I mean, I I didn't particularly like like most people. I would never, if I ever did, you know, I did a couple of short films and, and a couple of bits on screen, but nothing very much at all. But I would never. I would felt really awkward watching it back. I never liked it. I didn't like mm. the sound of my own voice. But I have to say, over the last couple of years, I've gotten used to it. This is yeah. this is me, you know, yeah. and yeah. and. My podcast has always been visual, as you know. That's What been...
1: Mike Yarwood used to say at the end of his uh, act, and this is me. Oh, <laughs> oh
0: wow! For um, our
1: younger listeners, that was a—he um, was a very famous impressionist.
0: Yes, I do remember <laughs> him. Of course, I do remember him. Uh, thank you to John again. There we go. That's the link for Lena. ah oh, brilliant! Thank speech. you. Speech, uh, John. Can you come along every week? That would be marvelous. Thank you. Uh, and uh, Simon. Missing a Y at the end of that poster. Oh, delivery! It was delivery, not delivery. Delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh well, that's brilliant, Andrew. Thank you so much for being here today. We have come to the end of our thirty minutes. Uh, Again, never—it's never enough to discuss this. Um, But if you are watching now, or you are watching on the replay, and you've got any questions for either of us, then please do get in contact. I've got. Andrew's website is here andrewthorpe.co.uk and if you would like to listen to his fabulous podcast Leaning Forward that's where you find it and also what have I got here let me oh no uh, brand me playing with my oh it's gone there it is this one here Leaning Forward some lessons from the actor world so this is the podcast interview with uh with Andrew that that we did together for his podcast. And if you, I didn't find the, the link to mine, but Andrew is also a guest on my podcast if you'd like to go find that as well at Power to Speak, the podcast on YouTube or your favourite podcast platform. So thank you, Andrew. That was that was amazing. That was so so much information in there. I will put all of these links that John has very kindly... Uh, put up here for great me. Great having John there to find all these <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> these quotes and links. It's brilliant. Yes, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Oh, well, thank you very, very much for listening and for watching and uh, I'll see you again next week. And Andrew, thank you very much for being no, it's here. It's my pleasure,
1: Jackie. It's great, great to join you. Thank you.
0: Speak to you soon.